Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host. Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. And before we get started in today's recap of week two of training camp out in Ashburn, wanted to let you know that, as always, the podcast here is brought to you up by our partners at BetOnline, who continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs. Major League Baseball, future bets on the NHL and NBA, and of course, getting your bets in for the upcoming college football and NFL season. So head on over to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. All right, so let's get in to today's episode with week two and the first week in pads for the Washington Commanders out in Ashburn. Wrapping up, they still have couple more practices this week, but as I record this on Thursday afternoon, you guys will hear this on Friday or whenever you're able to tune in. A lot of positives from this week, and first things first, it's so different how the offense starts to mesh when pads get on, right? All we heard last week was Carson Wentz this, Taylor Heineke this, the quarterbacks don't look good, the offense isn't meshing, the offensive line is letting guys through. It's amazing how different the offense looks when pads start to come on. And the interior of the offensive line is able to put some hands on some guys, put some guys in the dirt. Carson Wentz is able to step in that clean pocket and look downfield. The receivers are able to be a little more physical on the outside. Haven't heard too many negatives this week surrounding Carson or Taylor Heineke, who may be thrust into a potential role if Carson, knock on wood, were to miss time moving in to the regular season. But the offense so far in the first week of pads has gotten the better of what is expected to be a much improved defense. And that starts up front in the trenches. And as much as as fun as it is to look on the outside and see the faces of Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson and Deami Brown, the names kind of go on and on. And you look at Logan Thomas on the side field, the impact of Cole Turner and Curtis Hodges, two tight ends that we talked about in last week's pod. Then you look at the running backs and Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson. It's fun to look at those, those sexy names, those skill sets, those athletes on the outside and in the backfield. But you win games up front with your big boy and the beef within your front five. And we always talk about the prowess of the defensive line, the amount of first-rounders that Washington has within their front seven. But the veteran front five this week stood out. Now, granted, Trey Turner... Washington was inside today to the just excessive heat in Ashburn. They were inside, and Trey Turner did not practice today. He was looking on. Been around the league. That's not an issue to be concerned about moving forward. Allowed some more guys like death tap guards, Wes Schweitzer, Sadiq Charles, to get some more work as potentially that swing guard role that will be figured out as we move into the preseason. But the games are won up front in the trenches, and I've been extremely impressed with the amount of new faces because you got a new face at left guard in Andrew Norwell. Turner's going to start at right guard. Chase Rulia, who missed a ton of time last year due to a nasty lower leg injury, is back. And then Sam Cosme, who also missed time last year. He only started in nine games. He's back at right tackle. 
And this week showcased a unit that could be easily top seven or eight in football. You're anchored on the outside by Leno at left tackle, who Washington may look to replace moving into the next few seasons, whether it be the draft or free agency like they did with Leno and bringing in as well with Norwell and Trey Turner. And then you look to the other side and a young Sam Cosme that if he's able to stay healthy, could be one of the best young tackles in football. You've heard a lot about Rashawn Slater in last year's class, Penny Sewell in last year's class. Sam Cosme had a great year in year one, and he looks damn good in the first two weeks of camp, especially now with the pads drawn. He's able to provide that physicality and that those elite movement skills that he provides both in his pass sets and able to anchor and stick his cleats in the ground. And then when you ask him to move vertical in the run game and displace defenders, displace linebackers, move all over the field and do a lot of different things for you and extend that offensive line for those running backs who create space and obviously give more time as the arm side protectant for Carson Wentz this fall. So I've been extremely impressed with the meshing of the offensive line, which again goes back to the impact that offensive line coach John Matsko has had. And as good as he was last year with the shuffling of bodies that Washington enjoyed because of the injuries up front, now you get a unit, a veteran unit up up front in your front five that looks to be not only physically dominant in the run game, because you've got some nasty guys up front. Look at that interior three with Norwell, Roulier, and Turner, who've been around in the league for a little while, each with tons of NFL games under their belt. They're going to be able to move people in the run. I can't wait until this offensive line faces Philadelphia and all the names that everyone else is talking about with Jordan Davis and Hassan Reddick and an aging Fletcher Cox and Milton Williams, who they drafted from Louisiana Tech a few years back. They have a lot of names as well, and that's going to be a battle in the trenches to where you win or lose football games. But I've been extremely impressed with the Washington front five just the first two weeks of camp. And again, in this first week, where we've really seen them be physical with the pads on and be able to get after John Allen, Deron Payne, Phil Mathis, Montez Sweat. The names go on and on. Just be able to establish that physicality and that culture that Ron Rivera has talked about for so long since he's been the head bench boss in Washington. From there, I want to talk about the running backs. So some more offensive talk. And we talked about Carson Wentz and his rapport with the receivers last week. And I'll get to the receivers in just a little bit. But the running backs have looked good again. And this is a group of three with Gibson, McKissick, and rookie Brian Robinson, who the team drafted in the middle rounds out of the University of Alabama, is a unit that has a lot of intrigue surrounding it and really raise a banner of optimism surrounding this group just because of how different each skill set is and they're first cl- getting a first glimpse of them in pads and doing full 11 on 11 work this week look that you can see just how expansive the playbook is for with S- scott turner at the helm and gibson whether they want to make him a true three down back where he's if he's carrying the ball on first and second down, he comes in on third down and sub J.D. McKissick. What if they bring in J.D. McKissick and slide out Antonio Gibson out into the slot and do some different things that they've been talking about this offseason? Because remember, when this team drafted Antonio out of Memphis, he was a wide receiver. And he's had to make the, con- the conversion from the wide receiver spot to the running back spot in the NFL. And that's not easy to do. It's now it's not hard as hard as making a transition from you know left tackle to right tackle right tackle to left tackle that's like going over to England and trying to drive on the on the wrong side of the road or trying to write if you're a right-handed writer try writing with your left hand 
those different things. That's it, that's tougher than obviously making a transition from wide receiver to running back. But it's never easy at the highest level of the game. But the different skill sets that Washington has at their at their disposal this fall. McKissick is known as one of the best change of pace backs in the league, not just as a third down gadget talent when you're behind the sticks and it's third and 11, third and 12, and you need some you know some yards to potentially give you seven to eight extra yards to flip p- field position in the best way possible before bringing Tress Way on the field. He can run the ball with some prowess as well. We saw that last year and over the last couple of years when Gibson had to miss time due to injury. And then you bring in this Mack truck in the form of Robinson, someone that consistently fell forward during his time in Alabama, never put the football on the ground in his years at the SEC level, and worked his way up in Tuscaloosa and under the tutelage of Nick Saban to where he wasn't a featured back until his final season as a senior at Alabama and showcased, obviously, an ability to the reason why Washington took him in the third round this year. That's three bodies. Now, there's only one football to go around. We know that. But taking the pressure off of Carson Wentz's ability to not have to play hero ball every single week and throw for 350-plus yards and throw for 45 times a game, but to have Antonio, to have McKissick, and to have Brian Robinson as three legit options both in the run game and out of the backfield, now more so Gibson and McKissick than Robinson right now as guys that will get targets in the passing game, but those skill sets are going to be paramount for Washington to reach their offensive performance ceiling this year. And if anything, like I talked about just a few minutes ago with how they their skill sets expand the playbook, you can do so many different things with three different skill sets like that and present different looks to opposing defenses who are obviously bringing in more athletes. Every defense nowadays is playing in nickel. They're playing in sub. They want more athletes, more safeties, more corners on the field to counter the offenses because of how athletic and versatile NFL offenses have become. And Washington is right along in that line because of the prowess that they have, not just in the backfield. And then you look outside to the boundary. And this is where I want to go to next. We talked a lot about Jahan Dotson and last week's pod. Now you got the pads on. And the kid just looks as advertised. Everything we expected him to be at a Penn State. Physical in the air. A my ball. Alpha. Went up at the catch point. Sure hands. The kid's got glue. He's got Venus fly traps for hands. Whatever you want to say about the kid's hands. It's probably some of the best in the class. If not the best in the class. And he showcased that working against a veteran secondary so far. In Cam Curl. Bobby McCain. William Jackson, Kendall Fuller. Now, he's had some good reps against Benjamin Shane Juice, which is also going to make that secondary better, facing Dodson and McLaurin and Deami Brown each and every day, even looking at Cam Sims, because he's been, uh, he's won every single one of his one on one matchups with people I've talked to at camp so far. He's looked excellent again, and obviously going to maybe potentially feature him in the offense as a wide receiver three or four this fall, depending on their health again. Of Curtis Samuel. But Jahan Dodson has arrived. I don't think there's going to be any grace period for him to adjust as a rookie at the NFL level. Now, am I going to sit here and say Jahan Dodson is going to be a 1,000-yard receiver this fall? Absolutely not. 
I think you can bet on Terry McLaurin being that. I think De'Ami Brown's going to get some targets. Obviously, we know what the tight ends are going to be and how they're going to be involved in the workload this fall. And then, obviously, we just talked about Gibson and McKissick. But Jahan's going to get a lot of targets this year because of the attention on number 17 and Terry McLaurin on the opposite side. And early signs in camp with his rapport that he's had with Carson Wentz while Terry was out, that work and the off-season work that they've had together away from camp is obviously showing up early in just these first two weeks out in Ashburn. Now, we're going to have through preseason games. It remains to be seen how much we're going to see of the ones, of Dotson, of the other names on this offense. But I'm extremely excited to see him in work. And now, granted, we're not going to go into the preseason. If he doesn't get a catch, everyone's going to go crazy. Now, we, they might. This is Washington in a nutshell, right? This is the Washington fans, right? You guys out there sometimes go a little crazy off of the littlest things and overreact. It's it's overreaction season across the NFL. This is what training camp introduces every single year. It's what the preseason does. People get excited over guys and they end up being on the practice squad. Guys show out in training camp and go in the preseason and don't do anything and end up being cut. It is overreaction season. But for a guy like Jahan Dotson, being a first-round pick, especially after the first round pick that Washington had in 2021 and Jamin Davis had a down first year who will be better in year two, but he's just been exciting. And he is that that sexy pick, a wide receiver, skilled player, wide receiver, quarterback, running back. Those guys are sexy picks. And Jahan Dotson has a sexy skill set, and he's flashed it every single day in camp. It doesn't matter if he's in individual drills, acting like he's six foot five and he's you know, the Atlanta Falcons top 10 pick and Drake London, that's 6'4", 6'5", going up and catching balls up above the rim. That's what Jahan Dotson has been able to do as a guy that's a tick below six foot. And that's impressive considering the skill set, again, that are around him. So he's just been extremely impressive. And I, I don't want to overreact for expectations for Jahan this year, but he's going to get peppered with targets just considering the attention that's going to be on other players right now that are established within this Washington offense. So from there, I want to talk a little bit about Curtis Samuel. And I don't know what to do with Curtis Samuel right now. I don't. I, I'm not going to sit here and get excited because he ran some routes in, in individual drills and cut well. You just paid him a substantial amount of money last year. He didn't do anything for you last year. And now this year, we've seen him very minimal. And 7-on-7s, 9-on-9s, 11-11s, whatever you want to call it, any physicality from anything that Washington has asked him to do as far as being on the field with a helmet and shoulder pads on has been very, very limited. Yesterday, he competed in 11-11s. Apparently, he looked good. He looked smooth. Caught some balls in traffic and looked fine. But that's what you expect. He's been out all last year. He needs to be on the field. If anything, they need to push him to a point to where, look, either you're good or either you're not. Because this is an offense to where they're trying to figure out who's going to be that targeted, really, wide receiver two or three. Is it going to be Dodson? Is it going to be Samuel? Where is De'Ami Brown fitting that? Where is Cam Sims in that? Terry McLaurin is the number one wide receiver. We know that. We know that. That is, if anything, it's locked in that Terry is wide receiver one on this roster. But the guys behind him, they drafted Dotson for a reason. They tried to bring in Samuel last year. They drafted Diami to bring attention off of Terry. Didn't work at all, 
right? And now we're moving again and doing the same thing over and over again with Curtis Samuel. Troy, he ran some routes, then he's out for a week. Oh, but he's catching passes here. He's on the bike. He did a session in 11-11s. Oh, and now he's on the side field for two weeks, and he's not going to play in the preseason. Washington and Ron Rivera have got to figure out. Now, you look back to even the free agency process of Ron Rivera and Curtis Samuel, obviously their relationship stemming back to their time in Carolina. And from what I heard from inside the building, other teams offered Curtis Samuel a lower amount of money because of the injury concerns that he had with his groin and they were going to linger into not just the 2021 season like we saw, but further, which we've now seen to come to fruition. Other teams offered Curtis contracts, but lower amounts of money. But with Washington and obviously the relationship with Rivera and Samuel, and obviously with Rivera drafting him out of Ohio State, that relationship mattered, and Curtis Samuel got more money from Washington because potentially of that relationship that they had that was established, even though Rivera knew of the potential injury concerns that other teams around the league had surrounding Samuel's lower half. And it's just an up-in-the-air projection right now for a skill set that was showcased at Ohio State that was outstanding. And then in Carolina at times, he looked electric with the ball in his hands. And I hope that he can stay healthy for a full season because getting him on designated touches and whether it's just screens or or some reverses or or just even doing some orbit motion stuff and pre-snap and throwing some different looks at opposing defenses – Washington's going to need him to stay healthy this year, again, for them to reach their performance ceiling, just as important as Logan Thomas's health is going to be. But you brought in De'Ami Brown and you brought in Jahan Dotson for multiple reasons. And right now, it's Curtis Samuel, either you're going to play or either you're not, and right now you're just just taking money. I'm just not going to sit here and relate to you guys fake feelings and fake optimism of a guy that just ran some routes for you and caught a ball in 11-11s for the first time in camp and really for the first time in a few months in, in full, you know, really the first time in full contact. I, I'm just not going to overreact. So I mean to be you know, proven wrong with Curtis Samuel. I want him to be healthy. He needs to be healthy for this offense. And hopefully we move into next week with pads, ramps up his workload, gets into 11-11s, makes some plays, hard cuts, makes some guys miss in space, Get him the ball a, a lot more than what he's getting now. And let's see what you actually have with number 10 because it's going to be a massive piece to this offense this fall. From there and the final part of this episode, kind of a quick hitter for you guys just wrapping up this week of camp or really what we've seen thus far in camp is the dominance of Montez Sweat. I've been extremely impressed with Montez. Year four is going to be huge for him. He wants a contract extension here. He's going to have to work for it. And Washington, that was the kind of the concern when they drafted all these first-rounders. At some point, if their skill set you know, evolved and blossomed, that's where obviously your player development comes in, which is massive in these first-round prospects really reaching that performance ceiling. You're going to have to pay them at some point. You paid John Allen. You just paid Terry McLaurin. Now, granted, it wasn't a first-rounder. Deron Payne, it remains to be seen what happens. With big number 94, you just lost Matt Ioannidis and Tim Settle on the interior defensive line. Obviously, again, not first-rounders, but Montez is a first-rounder. Chase Young is a first-rounder. Jamin Davis 
is a first rounder. There's a lot of talent kind of coming up here in these next two, three years that you're going to have to pay. And Montez is a guy that enters a huge season for his future, whether it's in Washington and he wants a long-term contract extension to keep him in D.C. for the next four to five years and to be paid like a potential top 10 pass rusher in football. With Chase Young out, he's been physically overpowering anybody he's been facing in camp. Just a few days ago, he had Armani Rogers in front of him, completely blew him back, looked at the quarterback and said, don't you dare put a tight end on me. He's exactly right. For all you coaches out there and big-time football X's and O's guys, you don't block a D-end or an edge with a tight end. That's bad news. We all know that. But for Montez to get in this year and to finally reach that 10-sack-plus plateau that we've been looking for for the first three seasons, and obviously the timeline of Chase Young's injury remains up in the air. He looks to be out, obviously, right now for week one against the Jacksonville Jaguars. We don't know what his status is for the Lions game in week two or the Eagles game in week three. But if Montez is able to consistently provide pressure, whether he's working off the left tackle or you want to move over and slide him over to the right tackle, it doesn't matter where he aligns. He's got to be able to consistently push the pocket for Washington this fall because the only guy that did that last year consistently and was what made his season so extremely impressive was doing it from the interior. And that's number 93 in John Allen who played like an all-pro last fall. And there's no reason not to believe that he can reach that ceiling or higher again this year if other guys around him in pain or rotational guy in Phil Mathis coming in having some impact, another guy from Bama or Montez on the outside. That's only going to free him up on the outside to consistently run the edge and get you know some quarterbacks moving around a little bit. And then it gives you time for guys at the second level and Jamin Davis and Cole Holcomb to make plays. And then you've got names in the secondary that are going to be looked upon to improve. But I've been extremely impressed with Montez. Last week, without pads, just in individual drills, his feet, his hands are active. We know what the freakish athlete that he is. Ran 4'4 at 6'5", 260-plus pounds. He's a massive man with a humongous performance ceiling, and I really hope that he can translate everything that he's been doing on the field in Ashburn to when they suit up and they kick off in week one against the Jaguars. So that's going to wrap it up for today's pod. I always appreciate you guys tuning in. Please leave a like, share, comment, subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler. I'm not just a Washington guy. All NFL stuff, college football, NFL draft, lots of stuff going on there. My written work is housed at thedraftnetwork.com. I hope you guys have been enjoying camp so far. we got a few more weeks until they get going with preseason. Just three games now with preseason, which is great. And then we got week one in just a little over a month's time. So again, as always, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great weekend. I will talk to you at the start of next week. Lots of positives surrounding the Commanders in this fall. Regular season is right around the corner, and I'm really, really excited for this team. The beginning to start to mesh on both sides of the ball and moving in to a season to where it's massive considering it's year three of the Ron Rivera experiment. So again, thanks guys for tuning in. I will talk to you next time. This is Commanding the Huddle. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.